when the Israelites realized that Moses was taking forever in coming down off the mountain where he was meeting with God, they rallied around Moses' brother Aaron and said, do something. Make gods for us who will lead us. That man Moses, he got us out of Egypt, but heaven knows what has happened to him up on that mountain. Do something. So Aaron said to them, well, take the gold rings out of your ears. I think he was just making this up on the fly. Take the gold rings out of your ears of the wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And they all did it. They all removed the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from their hands and cast it into the form of a calf, shaping it with an engraving tool. And the people responded with enthusiasm. Aaron, taking one look at the situation, decided to take it even further and built an altar before the golden calf. And then he announced, tomorrow is a feast day to your new God. Early the next morning, the people got up and offered offerings to the golden calf. Then the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they began to party. The day turned into a wild, wild party, the story tells us. I don't know what your Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds look like these days, but mine are chock full of golden calves. Every distraction imaginable yells at me out of my electronic devices. Look at me, pay attention to me, forget everything else, do this now. It is sheer panic in cyberspace for liberals and for conservatives. A quick sample of the things that came across my feed just this week includes a severely restrictive anti-abortion law in Alabama, the early start of fire season in California, possible impeachment proceedings for the president, families still being separated and jailed at the Mexican border, a crowded field of presidential hopefuls, a trade war with China, a possible actual war with Iran, and many more, all wanted me to drop everything and pay attention to them. Each post implored me to stop whatever I was doing and concentrate on some terrible new wrong. Each post maintained that its issue was the most important thing in the world. Each post made me question my own priorities because there is always something shiny and new to chase after in a panic. In our Bible story, the Israelites represent humanity. They are a stand-in for us. That is why the story of the golden calf still rings true today. Think about it for a minute. Here's a story that is thousands of years old, told in a time and place very different from our own. And yet, we keep doing the exact same things those ancient Israelites did. 
We quickly jump from one god to the next to assuage our panic. In our story, the Israelites are not long out of slavery in Egypt before they begin to question both Moses' leadership and God's power. Apparently, it wasn't enough to see how God had sent plague after plague on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It wasn't enough that God had spared the Israelites these plagues and allowed them to escape. It wasn't enough even that God had parted the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry land. No, that was not enough. The minute Moses goes off to have a private chat with God, the people get impatient and panic. They can't even sit still for a week without thinking that they have been abandoned forever. So they grumble to Aaron, and he falls for it. Rather than telling the people to be patient and faithful, Aaron hatches a strange plan to provide them with another god. The Israelites are a monotheistic people, but they have lived in Egypt for a long, long time and are familiar with various Egyptian gods and goddesses, one of which is the bull. You see where we're going? And when a person is in a panic, it is hard to argue that a grumpy, invisible, anger-prone god is better than a shiny new god who offers quick solutions, right? Even if deep down the Israelites know the trinket Aaron makes for them out of their jewelry is a fake, the golden calf feels good in the moment. It relieves the immediate pain. It distracts for a while, and it leads to a wild party. We humans struggle with faithfulness. We are hardwired for change. The dopamine receptors in our brains like to get a jolt every so often. That's why we can be such addictive creatures. Studies have shown how our modern world gives us vastly more of these dopamine jolts than humans have ever dealt with in their entire history. Even the threats posed by war do not supply the brain with the same quantity of stimuli available daily just from social media and the news. We Americans are jolted constantly. Each email jolts us. Each text jolts us. Each new post jolts. Each news story jolts. Each televised debate on an issue jolts us. And we are simply addicted to this stimuli. Half the people driving around you, are texting, you know. Your dinner companions won't put down their phones unless you insist. And forget about talking to a stranger about anything in public like we used to. No one looks up from their phones anymore. But there is something far more insidious that happens to us religious liberals. All this jolting makes us actually crave panic. It makes us crave discomfort. It makes us crave upset. 
We love to see disaster everywhere, don't we? In a masochistic way, we come to crave bad news because it reconfirms our belief that the world is coming to an end. Bad news confirms our melodramatic narrative that all is lost. Here's a little bit about how I imagine the narrative going for some of us. All is lost and it is our fault. It is our fault and there is nothing significant we can do about it. But even though there is nothing significant we can do about it, we have to try to restore it somehow. If only we could convince other people that it is as bad as we think it is, then maybe they would help us stop it. You see where the chain goes? From the jolt to the panic. So we forward one more dire post on our Facebook page and wait for someone to like it. God spoke to Moses. Go, he said. Get down there. Your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have fallen to pieces. In no time at all, they have turned away from the way I commanded them. They made a golden calf and worshipped it. They've sacrificed to it and said, This is our God. When Moses came down from the mountain and came near to the camp, he saw the golden calf and the people dancing, and his anger flared. He threw down the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments and smashed them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made, melted it down with fire, pulverized it into powder, then scattered it on the drinking water and made the Israelites drink it. Wow. <laughs> Moses said to Aaron, what on earth did these people ever do to you? that made you be involved, that made you involve them in this huge sin. Both God and Moses are angry. They're both doing the best that they can to just keep the people on track. Naturally, God takes the Golden Calf's competition quite personally. <laughs> And Moses can't believe that his own brother Aaron has been so easily duped. As with most Bible stories, there's a temptation for us to identify with the hero of the story. There's a temptation to imagine that we would be like Moses, angry but solution-oriented. <laughs> we would assess the situation and assign blame and dish out appropriate punishment and then lead the people again. My hunch is we tend to be much more like Aaron than we would like to admit. We tend not to be terribly faithful or consistent. We tend to give in rather easily. We tend to per prefer distractions over deeper work. Especially in the realm of social justice, we tend to lead like Aaron over and over again. And like Aaron's results, ours are often fleeting at best. Temptation in Unitarian Universalism is to concentrate on social justice work without 
grounding it spiritually. The temptation is to get to work right away without considering how our work will be supported or sustained. The temptation is to latch onto something new and awful and to work ourselves hard for it. The temptation is to give up on a cause when it becomes too hard or too long and to jump to the next one. Temptation is to work on something as long as we don't have to leave the comfort of our own church or town. The temptation is to dismiss deeper spiritual work because the world is on fire, don't you know? So like Aaron, we come up with quick solutions, we take the easy road, we don't think through the consequences, and we don't have any plan for sustaining either ourselves or the work. It is just one golden calf after another. Only when we consider Moses are we drawn back to a better way of doing social justice work. The faithfulness Moses insists on is the only thing that will make our work sustainable. Now throughout history, we Unitarian Universalists have been a level-headed people. Whether we were working for abolition or temperance or civil rights or gay rights, we have been some of the people most able to keep our focus on long-term goals. We have been some of the people who have been the most able to listen through the static for a clear message. We have been some of the people most able to affect change without getting distracted, and this is what we must do again. Yes, the volume has been turned up in the political discourse. We are living through simply amazing, horrible, strange times, you and I. Yes, the world feels like it is going to burn up. Yes, the signs of renewed fascism are appearing in many countries. But it will do us no good to panic. It will do us no good to disparage those who are working on some other cause. It will do us no good to try to solve all of the problems at once. What will do us good is to remember that we do not have to do the work alone. To remember that we have to take care of one another, no matter the pace of the work. And to remember that this world belongs to God and not to any golden calf we might mistake for God. Grounding ourselves spiritually and remaining true to a good cause will allow us to actually change the world. Staying focused on the principles of our faith will keep us from being distracted and confused. A man in my last congregation had what would appear on the surface to be the smallest social justice ministry imaginable. Brian knew that not having a state-issued identification card made it hard for poor people to manage their lives. Without a state-issued ID card or a driver's license, 
People could not open a bank account, get a library card, sign a lease, get prescriptions filled, register to vote, get a car loan, or do many of the other things that most of us simply take for granted. Additionally, getting stopped by the police became much more dangerous and stressful if a person could not show the officer their ID. So Brian began offering rides from the church to the Department of Motor Vehicles just two days a week. At first, business was slow. Some Tuesdays and Thursdays, no one came. But then word got out. News spread that Brian would take you to the DMV to get your driver's license renewed or to get a new state identification card. Furthermore, he had the necessary forms and could help you fill them out. He also knew the other things you needed to bring with you to the DMV. And people also knew that if they could not afford to pay all or part of the fee, Brian would pay for it out of his own pocket. In twos and threes, twice a week, Brian drove people to the, to the DMV. He only had time for one trip a day, so you had to be in the car. Some people might have to wait a week or two, but he would get them there eventually. Brian had not set out to change the world, but he did just that, at least for one large, low-income neighborhood in one city. As hundreds of people got their state-issued identification cards over the years, things changed. Voting went up by a third. Arrests fell significantly. Landlords had to take better care of their properties. And banks started offering low-balance savings accounts. Did Brian's work cause this? Who really knows? It became a running joke in the neighborhood that Brian could card anybody he had helped. If Brian had helped you get your ID, you wanted to show it to him when you met him on the street. Old ladies and young men alike would smile and whip out their IDs to show Brian and to prove that they were still using them. The pride that shone in their faces meant Brian had helped their self-esteem as well. He had ministered to their spiritual needs, too. A humble guy, Brian was in church every Sunday. He never, ever talked very much about his ministry. He was a little shy about it. And he didn't participate in any of the other social justice causes. They just weren't his thing. He didn't have any time for panic and upset. No golden calves for Brian. But if your ID went missing, he was your man. So be it. Amen. <laughs>